There's lots of opportunities to put our trust in our looks or in our careers or in another person or in the degree we're seeking or in the amount of possessions we have. And yet we find again and again and again that everything else is shifting sand, that those things cannot be counted on, that they're not dependable, that they can't be trusted. And so we together, as your people, say that you are trustworthy, that you can be counted on, that you stay true to your word, that you always do what's right. And so we thank you that we've gone through those experiences of depending on other things in order that through those experiences we can find you who can be trusted. And we pray for those of us in the room who are experiencing shifting sand right now, who are encountering trials of various kinds. Our temptation is certainly to look at those things and be frustrated with them, to doubt, to question, to even be angry with you. And yet, may we learn to be people who see through the trial to the one who can guide us through the trial. May we be people who look at suffering and look past the suffering to you who grant us the hope that can get us through the suffering. And may we be people who enable and encourage and exhort each other every day, who help each other to persevere through difficult circumstances in order to trust you more. Because the truth is the world's watching. And we want to display that you are a God who's worthy of trust. We're well aware of the fact also that we're not the only church in town proclaiming this message. We pray for uh, the bridge, Tempe, that will gather tonight just down the street from us who are seeking to proclaim this message among, in particular, the, the homeless population among us. We pray for Tony as he will preach tonight that he would proclaim that message with boldness and that the people would embody it and that people who have encountered the shifting sand of life and are are left with next to nothing would find the hope that's available in Christ. And now as we turn to your scriptures, may we see not merely words on the page, but Jesus who is the word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Uh, We started last week a uh, new series of talks that will take us over the next couple of weeks, simply trying to recount for us as a body what the church is. Um, Every fall, if you're new here, we try to go back and reconsider who we are as a church because we tend to forget. Uh, The goal really is twofold. One, to help those of us in the, the room who are new to learn what Church on Mill is all about in order that you could discover if this is where God would have you to invest. And then for those of us that have uh, pledged to be a part of this church family, just to be reminded of what the family is all about. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 14. Uh, It will take us a while to get there, but that is one of the core passages that we'll look at today, and one that I hope that you would uh, mark. If you don't have a Bible back in the back of the coffee bar on the left, there are some. We'd invite you to stand up and get one and feel free to hang on to it if you don't own a Bible. Um, last week, we launched this new series by simply saying that the primary identity we have as people is that we're the people of God. And so there is a shared identity 
that we have that the scriptures tell us is simply that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That imagery is often used in the scriptures that we're a family. And as the family of God, we're to help each other. We're to encourage each other. We're to exhort one another. We're to love each other. That identity isn't something we earn. And it's not even first something we do. It's something that we're given. It's a gift of God that we're called to be uh, people that live in light of that. And we said that we have a new father and a new family and a new future. Shockingly, Jesus believes that this shared identity that we have as the people of God is so important that it runs even deeper than our biological families. That it's down to the very core of who we are. And Jesus said a lot of things that are not particularly popular. Um, One of those will be here on the screen. This comes from Mark chapter 3. He said, then he, this is Jesus, went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Can you imagine that? We're going to do a lot of that today, aren't we? Verse 21, and when his family, so his biological family, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. Well, Jesus' own biological family thought he was nuts. And his mother and brothers came to him, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking at those that sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus ultimately wasn't disrespecting his biological family, but he was saying, really family at its essence, at its core, isn't what you're born into. It's what you're reborn into. It's the family of God that God has placed you in. It's who your brother and sister in Christ are. That's what we said last week. Today we'll be exploring what the core message of this family is, that the shared authority we follow as a family is the Word of God. As God's people, we share the same authority. We are under God's Word. And our premise for today is simply this, that the people of God thrive under the life-giving authority of the Word of God because it's God speaking and God revealed. Just to repeat that, our premise is that the people of God thrive under the life-giving authority of the Word of God, for it is God speaking and God revealed. We sit under the Word of God. You and I will always, always be people that live by a word. In other words, we'll be people that live under some type of message. There'll be something that we believe, and what we believe will drive our Behavior will always live by a word. Words have tremendous power, don't they? The old childhood saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is stupid. It is ridiculous. It's simply not true. Words have tremendous power, both for good and for evil. A father says to a son, You'll never amount to anything. A group of ninth graders tease a fellow classmate. You're so fat, you're like a beached whale. A boyfriend says to his girlfriend, You're saying no, but I know what you really mean is yes. 
A wife says to her husband, I'm leaving. I don't love you anymore. A boss says to her employee, we're going to have to let you go. A child says to another, I hate you. Can you remember those kinds of words that have been said to you? Can you remember when you've said them to others? Words have power, tremendous power. Words make lasting impacts. But God's word has the most power and the best power. And it's always designed for our good. God's word, brothers and sisters, is the word that we live and die by. Years ago, a theologian named B.B. Warfield rightly said, when scripture speaks, God speaks. Is that your conviction? That what this book says is God speaking. That it's not some stale old words on a page, but it's literally the living, active, breathing message of God. And when we come to it, we're not merely hearing something spoken long ago. We're hearing God continuing to speak. Jonathan Lehman put it this way, God's word working through God's spirit is God's primary instrument for growing God's church. In fact, God's word is the most powerful force in the universe. God created the universe through his word. He's recreating it through his word and he sustains all things by his word. The Bible starts out with that message. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then the chapter goes on by this rhythm. It follows this cadence. God said, God said, God said, God said. Simply by speaking words, God creates out of nothing. That's power. Adam and Eve were to live under God's good word by bearing God's image and obeying his command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what did they do? They rejected his word in favor of a different word, a word that promised them freedom, a word that told them God was keeping good things from them, a word that pledged life but instead brought death. They rejected his word in favor of a different word. That really brings us to the fundamental question that you and I face, both as individuals and as a church. Are we trusting God's word or are we embracing a different one? The scriptures really make it that simple. Are we people that listen and obey or are we people that don't? Are we people that hear what God says and we submit to him and follow or are we people that don't? Ever since Adam and Eve embraced alternate words, words that disappoint, words that bring death, God has been giving the opportunity to live in a world that he's recreating by his word. Throughout the Bible, we see the fabulous hope found in the word of God. God's word came to Abraham and promised him the gospel, and God kept his word. Against all odds, Abraham became the father of the nation of Israel, God's people, God's people were created by his word. Last week we saw that out of the exodus came God's people and God's word was forming them, making them new. And then ultimately that led to Jesus who John chapter 1 tells us is the word of God made flesh. The same is true for the church. God's word forms us. God's word spoke us into existence. God speaks and we respond. If you've been in a church gathering before, this won't come as any new news to you, right? This isn't 
a carefully crafted, wonderfully new, boisterously exciting message. It's the same old, old story. That God's word brings joy, it gives, it protects, it beckons us to live for it matters, it forgives, and it has power. To listen to the Bible is to listen to God. But it's something we need to hear over and over and over and over. To submit to the Bible is to submit to God. To obey the Bible is to obey God. To delight in the truth of the Bible is to delight in God. Because the Bible's God's good word. God's good word offers life. And by believing his word, we pass from death into life. And then we join in with God's people, becoming brothers and sisters in the family of faith. This is a theme all through the book of John. I'll show you in John 14 this in just a second. But earlier in John, it says this, John chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus makes it that simple. That if we hear his word and believe, then we have life. And if we don't, then we don't. We want to make Christianity massively more complicated, but it's that simple. Do we hear what God says? Do we recognize that we can't do it? Therefore, do we submit to him and find life? Or do we not? A few chapters later, we come to John chapter 14. And this is one of the best passages in the whole Bible about the Bible. It's also one of the most obscure So that's why I picked it in hopes that it could really stand out to you. A few chapters after John 5, what's happened is Jesus has come, we fast-forwarded about a year and a half, maybe two years, and Jesus is about to enter his arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection. And he says this in John 14, verse 8. Philip, who was one of the disciples, said this. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Did you say something like that to God recently? God, just do this. Just come through in this way, and that'll be enough. God, just give me a sign, and that'll be enough. God, just promise me this, and then I'll do this. I can remember as a a child, I watched... Uh, a really horrible, filthy movie. My parents didn't want me to, but I chose to anyway. It was called Top Gun. (laughs) There was that one steamy scene in there that all these years I haven't forgotten. Maybe that's why my parents didn't want me to watch it. But I went to a friend's house, and we popped the popcorn and got up in the middle of the night and watched Top Gun. The next day, I was under the conviction of God, and was driving home with my parents, and I remember saying to God, God, if you'll make it snow tomorrow so I'll miss school, then I promise I'll tell my parents that I watched Top Gun. And I believed God gave me that word, that it was going to snow. I clearly did not live in Phoenix at the time. So I told my parents I watched Top Gun last night, and it didn't snow the next day. How many times have, have you done something like that? God, if you'll just come through in this way, then I promise I'll do this and this and this. 
That's what Thomas, or Philip, sorry, is saying. Just show us the Father, Jesus, and that's enough. That'll be enough. And the image that we have of Jesus is uh, the soft, warm, fuzzy Jesus. The Jesus that says, I'm sure, here's the Father. I don't really ask anything from you. Here's the Father. But that Jesus, of course, doesn't exist. Verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now watch this verse closely. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Now it's really easy to miss. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He says, how do you know God the Father? You know the Father by looking at Jesus. And you know Jesus, you know the Father, by listening to the words that Jesus has spoken. So what is the work that the Father does? It's the words that Jesus speaks. That's a really strange way of saying it, isn't it? Not really. What is the work that the Father does? It's the words that Jesus speaks. So if you want to see God, if you want to experience the Father, if you want to know the love, if you want to encounter God, then Jesus says, you have to look no further than the words that I'm saying to you because those words do my work. Boy, that puts the Bible on a whole different plane, doesn't it? Makes it a lot more important. Jesus believed so strongly in the word that he said, my words are the Father's works. Friends, I'm not sure there's a much more important lesson for us to learn as a church today. Our temptation is to ask for miracles, crazy things like fire from heaven and dead people coming back to life and lame people walking again. We want eloquent, persuasive arguments to win over our skeptics. Our temptation is to plead with God to speak audibly or to give us some kind of sign. All the while, Jesus is saying, you want to see the Father? Then listen to my words. That's where you'll see the miracles happening. Because when my words are heard and they're believed, then life changes. Not everything becomes easy, but you find my power in you. God's work is accomplished by God's word. So as a church family, we believe that the word of God is a good word. Now, we live in a culture that at a particular moment in human history will tell us over and 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 over again. There is no truth. There are no absolutes. There is nothing to live by. Now, of course, that is absurd because in its own claim is a claim to absolute truth. But we have the opportunity to humbly demonstrate, not with arrogance, 
but with a posture of humility that there is a better way to live, that that worldview will cause you to ruin, that there is a better word. There's the scriptures that say, no, there is truth, and this truth is Jesus, and you can live by him. If you were to go home today and read the book of Acts, which I'm sure is what you're planning to do with your holiday, you would find that the theme, the anthem, just like in Genesis 1, God spoke, that the theme, the anthem of Acts, of the spread of the church, is the word of God spread. The word of God spread. The word of God spread. How is it that the church experiences God? That we come to know him? That we can make a difference in our culture? It's by the word of God spreading. If we want to be a church that makes a difference in Tempe, we will be people that live under the word of God. If we want to be people that are helpful with real needs, not simply people that say, let me pat you on your back and God will take care of that. I'll pray for you. But if we really want to make a difference, then we'll live under the word of God. If we want to be people that live in the joy that God provides, then we'll live under the word of God. If we want to see our friends and family become Christians, then we'll live under the word of God. The church exists because of the word. We live under the word and for the word. That's what it all goes back to. A little while later in John, John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We never move beyond that. How is it that we come to know God? It's by his word. And how is it that we'll become who God wants us to be? It's by his word. We'll never move beyond that. And we'll never be in need of not being reminded of that. Now, I recognize this is nothing flashy or new. But there's probably varied reaction to this in the room. A few of you are asleep. A few of you are saying, really? You actually believe that? I thought we're beyond that. I didn't know this was one of those fundamentalist places. But let me just break down, perhaps, your responses into four different categories. The first we might call the blah, 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 blah category. That's those of you in the room who say the Bible is just an old book written by men. We're far too educated and advanced to believe those primitive stories. Besides, isn't the Bible full of contradictions? You can't trust it. I'm not going to ask for volunteers, but I'm sure there are those of you in the room that that is the way you think of Scripture. And I wish that we could sit down over a cup of coffee and converse. If we could, here's what I would tell you. I've been there. I've had all those thoughts. I've believed those things. I've sat in college classes and been ridiculed for my beliefs with people who have a lot more letters after their name. I have felt the weight of not knowing how to respond and come under the crushing doubt that comes when the ground of your faith is eroded because you believe you can't believe in the Bible anymore. My challenge to you today would be to take the time to actually study what the Bible says about itself. To take the time for yourself to do the homework on where the book came from. I believe what you'll find when you do 
is that most of what you've been told about the scriptures isn't actually true. That most of what you've been told it claims for itself isn't actually what it claims. And that most of what you've heard are the objections or the contradictions or how it was put together isn't really the weight that history can bring to bear when you know it. That information is readily available. You can seek it out. You can find, how did we end up with this Bible as the Bible? And I believe what will happen as you do that is you will find your faith again. You will find there is tremendous reason to put confidence in God's Word. If you believe anything you're ever told in school, historically speaking, you will believe the Bible. There's far greater reason to believe the truthfulness of the Bible than to believe what you've been told about Roman history, for example. Because the evidence is greater. It's spoken over a broader scope of time by a greater number of people over a greater geographical area with far greater manuscript evidence. Look for it. Do the homework. Don't be afraid to seek out the real story. And you'll find that there's reason to have faith. Now, there's another group of people of us in the room who wouldn't be in that category. But if you're a Seinfeld fan, you will fall here, perhaps. This is the yada, yada, yada group. (laughs) This is the group that might say, the Bible's all fine and dandy, but it's boring. It's not real life. I've tried reading it, and it simply isn't helpful. I'm not going to ask you, of course, to name yourself either, but is that your experience with the Scriptures? Have you had people tell you, you're supposed to do this, this is what Christians do, just sit down and read it, and if you do, then you'll hear God and all of life will be wonderful. Well, if, if that's the message you've been given, then you've probably been disappointed when you've come to it. Every day with Jesus hasn't been sweeter than the day before. It hasn't been that every felt need has been met by the scriptures. It hasn't been when you ask the question, should I marry this person or not, that you found their name written in this book. It hasn't been when you asked this major or that major that you found the answer here. It hasn't been when you asked Conoco or Texaco, should I get gas I'm I'm being facetious, of course, but if we go to the Bible expecting those kinds of answers, then we're going to be frustrated because that's not the answers that it gives. If we go expecting precise answers to complex questions, what we find is much more, here is the general counsel and wisdom of God. Now, how is it to be used in the circumstances today? Ultimately, this word points us to Christ, the the true word, that we would trust in him. The Bible's aim, of course, is love. Nothing is more needed and practical than the love of God flowing over our lives such that we would love each other and love the world. Now, I'm not saying there that the Bible doesn't have specific answers to the questions that we ask. It does. But... It's more found in raw ore that has to be mined in order that then we can hear what God would really say to us. 
Because the questions we're asking are probably not the most important and most urgent questions. So the Bible will speak to the the deeper things of life in order that we would learn to trust God. Maybe you've been given a shallow vision of the Bible. Maybe there's a lot more there than what you can imagine. Maybe the pace of life that you're living means that that raw process of mining the ore in order that you could find the gold. You're simply not taking enough time for. So to the yada, yada, yada crowd, I would encourage you to take the time to actually sit and listen. To ask God to speak to you. To read it slowly and listen carefully. And I believe what you'll find over time is that it really is God speaking. And maybe you've lost faith and confidence that that can happen. There's lots of resources out there to help you know why to have confidence in the Scriptures and what the Scriptures actually say about themselves. One of those is a new book out called Taking God at His Word, Why the Bible is Knowable, Necessary, and Enough, and What It Means for You and Me. It's a wonderful book to help us have confidence in the Scriptures, written by a a young guy who God is really using named Kevin DeYoung. If you would admit that you're in the yada, yada, yada crowd and you'd be interested in reading this book, would you come and get it from me? Could you be that bold in a room full of people? Here we go. There's an honest person in the room. And her son came and got it for her. Isn't that sweet? Enjoy. For those of you who are not as honest, that book is available back at the bookstall. <laughs> now, a third category of people in the room would be the yes, but. Yes, I, I hear you. Yes, cognitively, theologically, mentally, I give assent to all of that. But I've got to be honest, I'm not finding that is really true. I'm not finding experientially that it actually works that way. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I see it on these words that it says, come to me that you may have life. But I'm not finding that life. In fact, I think I stink like death. Why does this seem to work for everybody but me? Sometimes I think the way Christians talk is so unhelpful. We make it sound like every day we hear the audible voice of God when we read the scriptures. Friends, that is never everyone's experience all the time. Never. The greatest Christians of history, the people who have made the biggest impacts, have often been the people that have gone through the greatest trials. The periods of time where they've said, God, I don't hear you at all. It's only when we're hungry that we really grow to appreciate food, right? Why would we think spiritually God would give us any different of an experience? Most of us simply don't experience the richness of an encounter with God every time we come to the Scriptures. So 
Why do we then come here and say, well, every time I'm in the Bible, it's just so rich and sweet. When the other person is nodding the head and thinking, maybe for you, but not for me. All that does is sow seeds of doubt. It's far better to be honest. It's far better to say, I'm, I'm, I'm reading it, I'm in the Bible, but gosh, those seeds just feel like they're falling on hard ground. It's faithful diligence every day to reject alternate words and remind ourselves and each other of the true gospel word that will produce growth. Sometimes our hearts will be deeply moved by the scriptures and will be overcome with emotion. Even Tad might cry. Sometimes God's presence will be richly obvious to us. Other times it'll feel pointless. Other times it'll feel like we're not even hearing from God. Other times it'll feel like it doesn't make any sense. But all of that is God's way of growing us, of making us more Christ-like. Chances are you may not be getting much from the scriptures because you're not giving much to them. Or you simply need a refresher on how to read them. Or maybe you need to read them not as an isolated individual person, but as part of the people of God with another brother or sister in Christ. So if you're in that camp, the yes but camp, I would encourage you, find someone in the church that you could do something really crazy risky to. Go up and say today before you leave, hey, the scriptures are not penetrating my heart very deeply. Would you get together with me and and read them? Could we? Can we get together once a week and just read a chapter or two of Mark and say, what'd you get out of it? What's an idea that maybe you don't fully understand? What's a new thought? What's something you might want to consider living in light of? Just ask a few questions and talk together and pray together. I think what you'll find if you do that is God uses the community of faith, and the Word of God to breathe life back into you. Christianity is never designed to live in isolation from each other. The Word is not meant to be read only with the self, but with brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the resources we use in Disciple Makers that has borne the most fruit is a little teeny tiny book called One-to-One Bible Reading, A Simple Guide for Every Christian. All it does is lay out two methods for reading the scriptures, one with three little pictures and the other that's a a little more advanced. But if you can color in a coloring book, you can do the first one. It simply says, read Mark and draw three pictures in the book that depict the three questions. That's it. We have seen God use this tremendously, both in the lives of Christians and non-Christians. So first try this with another believer. And then have you ever considered going to somebody that doesn't know Christ? And instead of spending five, six, seven, eight years trying to pretend that Christianity is cool and not bringing up God and just praying that they'll ask something at some point, why don't you just say, hey, would you read the Bible with me? 
would you get together with me and read Mark once a week? And I'm not going to beat you over the head with it. We'll just see what it says together. What we're finding as more of us are doing that is that God's word has power and really amazing things can happen. If you're in the yes, but camp and you would consider doing that and you're willing to read this book and you're honest, would you? Wow, we got two back there. What am I going to do? Well, why don't you race? All right. On your mark, get set, go. (laughs) You'll share that with our guest, won't you? Okay, good. Finally, there is the camp or the group in the room that would say, yes, yes, yes. You resonate with what we've said. You believe it. You believe it here. You believe it here. You likely won't always be there. Some trial, difficulty, hardship, question will come. And you will find yourself moving back towards one of those other camps. We need each other, don't we? That's why we're God's people under God's word who can encourage each other. So I think what I would ask you is, or encourage you with, is when was the last time you read something in the scriptures that you refused to submit to? The last time that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, this is what it says. Maybe it's to tell a friend about the gospel. Maybe it's to submit your money to him in some area. Maybe it's to be honest about something that happened to you in the past that you've stuffed and hidden. Maybe it's to come clean about a habit that you can't seem to break. When was the last time God said, do this, and you know it, but you shoved it away? What I've found over and over and over is that the, the more times I say no to God, the harder it becomes to hear Him. And when I'm not hearing Him, it's generally not because He's quiet. It's because I have the, this will be gross, I'm warning you, I have the earwax of of no's. I've said no, 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 so I can't hear very well. Would you consider going back to that last time you said no and asking God to help you obey, to, through the gospel, to be enabled by his power to say yes and to live in light of it? Maybe before you get up from your seat today, the invitation that God would give you is to turn to somebody next to you and say, I really need to do this, but I'm scared I won't follow through. Would you help me? Would you call me later this week and ask me? Would you send me a a piece of hate mail that says, did you do it? Would you text me? Would you call me? We'll all need those things to help us. Our greatest challenge as brothers and sisters is, will we continue to believe the gospel, God's good word? Will we give ourselves to it over and over and over again? Will we trust that this is his word to us? May we always lead each other back there. That book I gave out a minute ago by Kevin DeYoung ends with these words. 
Let us not weaken in our commitment to our unbreakable Bible. Let us not wander from divinely exhaled truth. Let us not waver in our delight and desire. God has spoken, and through that revelation, he still speaks. Ultimately, we can believe the Bible because we believe in the power and the wisdom and the goodness and the truthfulness of God, whose authority and veracity cannot be separated from the Bible. We trust the Bible because it is God's Bible. And God being God, we have every reason to take him at his word. Real quickly, let me give you a couple implications of what we've said today. First, being people under God's word means we will willingly and increasingly obey. There is not a single person in this room, no matter how spiritual you are and how long you've walked with Jesus, is actively obeying everything in the scriptures. None of us. None of us are perfect. That's why we continue to need Jesus, the one who is perfect. And God is counting on his right standing as what keeps you in right standing with him. That's good news, right? And so we're free to admit we're not fully obeying yet. And we're free to encourage one another to come more and more and more under the authority of God in the scriptures. So if you call yourself a Christian, by the power of God, will you obey God? And if you're here today, friend, and you're not yet a Christian, welcome. We're so thrilled that you're here. God's message to you today isn't clean yourself up, try hard, obey, and then you'll be accepted. Sadly, that is the message often shared in settings like this. But that's not the message that God gives. The message that he gives sounds like bad news. It's that you're a wicked, horrible, awful person. And yet God loves you. You're in desperate need to obey him, but you can't. That's why Jesus came and died and rose again, in order that you, if you trust in him and give your life to him, can have his right standing with God. That's Christianity. That's the message. If you'll submit to him, you'll find that freedom. So won't you come to him? God's word is a good word. It's a freeing word. It's a word of life. Many of us in the room have found that to be true, and you can too. Another implication is that being people under the word means we will be people with an eagerness to be discipled and to be people who disciple. We'll be people who say to each other, I need help living under the word of God in this particular area. I see you're a little further along in that. Would you help me? We're finding more and more that we're just naturally going to each other and asking for that. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Church best expressed is an eclectic, odd, multi-generational, multi-educational background, multi-ethnic group of people. That's church best expressed. Not because it's easiest, not because it's smoothest, not because it has fewer problems than the homogeneous church, but because then there's people at all different places to help each other come to believe in God and live under the word of God. We have that here. And, and it is a glorious disaster, isn't it? But we've got to choose to use it. You've got to choose to go to people who are different than you and say, would you disciple me? Would you help me? 
and then to jump in and say yes. So I'd encourage you, get with each other, not in formal programs, but just in the stuff of life. Another implication of being under the word means that we're changing people. It means that we're acknowledging there's, there's stuff here that still needs to come under the authority of God's word. And so are you finding that as you look back a year or two years, three years, that you're not really the same person anymore? That there were things back then you believed that you don't believe anymore? That there were doubts you struggled with that are, are less potent today? That there are, are behaviors you found yourself trapped in that are less common today? That there were things about God that you rejected that you now embrace? Are you finding that true? I hope so, because that's what God's Word does as we submit to Him. Not perfectly, of course, but the trajectory of life is intended to be up and down, but, but steadily up. And that's what God's Word can do in our life. Finally, being people under the Word of God means we're joyful people. Friends, the Word of the Gospel is a good Word. It is a Word of enjoyment. It is a Word of life. Don't be people that advertise it's a Word of death. Friends, we ought to be the most joyful, jovial, wonderful people that exist in Tempe. Because we know the good word. And we've been given the good life in Christ. Not pretend, not fake, not phony, not there's no suffering. But not begrudging obedience. Because Jesus' word gives freedom and peace and joy and life. Amen? Amen? So let's live like it. Our lives ought to propel people to want to follow God because it's the very best life. I read yesterday this statement from John Piper. For many, Christianity has become the grinding out of general doctrinal laws from collection of biblical facts. But childlike wonder and awe have died. The scenery and poetry and music of the majesty of God have dried up like a forgotten peach at the back of the refrigerator. May that never, ever, ever be true of us. Because this is a good word. It's a word that gives life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we don't have to live by all the alternate words around us. Words that tell us life is found in finding a spouse, or in getting a different spouse, or in having a child, or in getting a different shape of body, or in finding a more fulfilling job, or getting that next degree, or fitting in some slimmer pants, or having a bigger bank account, or being around nicer people. God, alternate words always promise life, but they never fail to fail. They always bring death. They always disappoint. Thank you that you have spoken a good word, a word that gives life, a word that gives peace, a word that gives joy, a word that's not dependent on how we perform, but is all bound up 
in the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and rose in victory. I pray that before we get up from our seats, that you would speak your word personally to each person here. That we would know how you would want us to respond. And that we would take the risk of saying to somebody near us, here's what God would have me to do. Would you help me? Thank you that we can be your people under your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.